Thank you, Jace. We'll start with that text in just a moment. But if you're wondering, who's that guy down there in the front doing all that hacking and coughing? Well, that's the preacher. And misery loves company because I hear a few others of you hacking and coughing as well. So we'll just hack and cough together this morning as we try to get through this lesson. How about that? Yeah. There we go. That's old technology there. We think it's about to be replaced. But it sure served well. We're talking about deepening our faith this morning. And I want you to think about this. Your faith is the only connection you have to eternity. Now, I know, yes, there's God, of course, there's Jesus, there's the sacrifice of Christ, there's the resurrection, there's all those things. But none of it will mean anything to you or me unless we have faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Knowing that, that our faith is the only connection we have with eternity, with our soul's salvation, how important should our faith be to us? Our health is important. We pursue all kinds of things to try to care for our health and improve our health and fix our health when it's not doing very well. We'll make sacrifices for that. We'll spend a lot of money for insurance and whatever we, we try to do to get that right. But what about our faith? What do we do for our faith? Well, I know I'm, uh, it's, it's interesting that we say preaching to the choir because we don't have a choir. Actually, we are the choir, but I'm preaching to the choir this morning because you're here. But I want you to understand the value of pursuing your faith and deepening your faith because it's all we've got. We don't have anything else to offer the Lord except that. But thankfully, that's exactly what he wants. John writes this. We're talking about the words of three apostles this morning as we get started. John says that our faith is our victory. Think about that. When we are finally in glory with God, the one thing that will have resulted in our victory with Christ is our faith in Christ. That's what John is saying near the close of this letter. All those who believe in Jesus Christ are born of God. Now, he says that within the context of the book, so you have to understand the context of what he's saying to understand what that means. But it's all based in faith in Jesus Christ. You believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. John started his gospel by saying those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, those who believe in him as the Son of God, are given the right to become children of God. John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. That's what he writes there, starting his gospel. And so if you want to be a child of God, it starts with faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And John here says faith, our faith is the victory that we have in Christ. Now, it's not just John who writes about this, but Peter writes about it as well. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 1, I want to see what he says here. 1 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 3 and following with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. <clears throat> Remember, that's what John was talking about. All those who believe in Christ are born again. Peter's talking about the same thing. We're born through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. 
On our recent journey to West Virginia, we stayed in a motel on the way. Uh, we were tired and wore out. I don't know if you've talked to Debbie any about this hotel, but she has a lot to say about it because it wasn't the best place to stay. <laughs> oh, man. Have you ever had them come up to your room and take apart the sink and pull out a big hair clog about eight? Okay, that's, that's just kind of part. Just the, That's the introduction to how bad this place was. This is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a place in heaven that's reserved. It's undefiled. It's, it's reserved. It's got your name on it if you are in Christ. That's what your faith is doing for you. You've got a reservation waiting for you in heaven at a place you can't imagine how glorious and how wonderful it is. And that's what Peter's talking about. Who are protected by the power of God through what? Through faith. For a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now notice what he says before we move on. The proof of your faith, more precious than what? Gold in this world seems to be nothing more precious than gold and all that gold can accrue for you in this world. People are saying, oh, the economy's going to collapse. You better buy gold. You better buy Krugerrands. It's German gold. I don't know why German gold's any better than any other gold, but I guess that's the way it works in this world. Buy gold. Something more precious than gold. It's your faith. And when your faith is tried by trial, it becomes even more precious than it was before it started out. We're talking about deepening your faith. So keep in mind that trial has a great part to play in the deepening of our faith. If you want to have a strong faith, hope to be tried. Hope to be tested. Because that's where your faith is refined, is in trial. Let's read on. Verse 8. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith, the what? The salvation of your souls. The outcome of your faith. Now, I want, to, I want you to see, I want me to see what Peter's focusing on here. We know he's talking about the power of God. He's mentioned that, but he's not talking about the power of God. We know he's talking about the grace and mercy of God, but he's not talking about the grace and mercy of God. He's talking about your faith. All that other stuff is a given. Of course God is powerful. Of course God is gracious and merciful. But what depends on you? It's your faith. The marvelous thing about this is you have complete control over it. Nobody else does. Not the government, not your grandparents, not your parents, not your nanny. Anybody got a nanny? I don't think nannies are too popular in Oklahoma, but if you got a nanny, your nanny doesn't have anything to do with it. Maybe nanas. Now, nanas are powerful. But if you want your faith to be deepened, you can work on that. You can do that. You can have the kind of faith you want. All you have to do is want it and go for it, and it's yours. Now, a lot of other things might not be that possible. 
I've talked to people who, who wanted to make a lot of money and just never managed to make a lot of money. I've talked to people who, who wanted to, to be educated in a certain way but just never really kind of got a handle on what they wanted to be educated in because it was just kind of above them or beyond them. How many NBA players do we have in this congregation? Would anybody like to be an NBA player? Probably see some hands go up, but no, it's not going to. Yeah, I see one hand in the back. Oh, no, they're scratching their head. Okay. <laughs> some things are just beyond us. But the one thing that counts the most is in your hands. Isn't that wonderful? That, that is such a blessing. Such a blessing. And let's move on to where we talk about what a blessing this is. Romans chapter 4. John said, our faith is our victory. Peter said, the outcome of our faith is the salvation of our souls. What will Paul say about it? Or what does Paul say about it in the fourth chapter of Romans? Romans chapter 4 and verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's a quote from the 15th chapter of Genesis. We're 15 chapters into the word of God, the first book of the word of God. And God is showing us how his man, his friend, Abraham, was made righteous because of his faith. He wasn't made righteous because he was righteous. He wasn't made righteous because he was a great man. He was made righteous because of one reason, and that reason was his faith. He believed in God, and God said, I'm going to credit that faith as righteousness. Now, that's a good deal. I thought it was a pretty cool thing when I was young. We went down south on a vacation we often did because we had relatives down there and I found this store that sold confederate money now it wasn't real confederate money it was that stuff they make out of paper that looks real old but it it says uh, confederate money from the confederate states or whatever uh, all that stuff that you would naturally expect to see on confederate money and I thought oh this will be great I'll take this back home and I'll pull it out at Dairy Queen and see what they'll give me for it you know what they gave me when I pulled it out at Dairy Queen? Nothing. Well, I did get kind of a stupid look. Like, what kind of an idiot are you? I mean, they understand there's plenty of kinds of idiots in the world, but they were wondering, what kind of an idiot was I to pull out Confederate money and try to get something at Dairy Queen? Now, seriously, I wasn't really trying to get anything with Confederate money because what did I know about it? Even as a young teenager, it had no value. But what if someone had said, what if the manager came out and said, oh, look at that. That's pretty cool stuff. I'll tell you, I'll give you a banana split for some of that. I just said, here you go, man. We're going back down there next summer. I'll get some more for 50 cents. <laughs> give me that banana split. Now, he didn't say that. But when the God of heaven says, Marty Kessler, if you put your faith in me, I'm going to credit that as righteousness. And that righteousness is going to bring you before my throne and I'm going to provide for you a home in heaven eternally that's beyond your wildest imagination. I'm going to enrich your life while you're living on the earth. I'm going to make your life as full as it can be. It's not going to be trouble-free, but it's going to be full. It's going to be fulfilled. Jesus would say, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll make you work hard for your salvation. Is that what he said? He said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you 
rest. And that's what he does. That's what he does. We do that by faith, and he responds. So, continuing in this, verse 4, To the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness, apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Abraham had faith prior to the law, and God said of Abraham, I'm crediting your faith as righteousness. David had faith under the law, but he didn't ascribe his salvation to the law, did he? And Paul is writing through inspiration about what David said. That even though there was the law, and man, if, if you've missed our Leviticus class on Wednesday night that Mike's doing, get online and find that and listen to those lessons about the detailed instructions of the law for how to be holy. Holy before God. It was hard. I'm so thankful I didn't live back then. It's great to be a Christian. It's great to be in the kingdom of God. I think that's why Jesus said, greater is he who's in the kingdom even than John the Baptist. And I'm like, what? Greater than John the Baptist? Oh, yeah. There's something to be said for being in this kingdom. And it's all about what we're talking about here. Salvation through faith. He goes on to say, verse 9, is this blessing then, this blessing of salvation by faith, this blessing of having your faith credited as righteousness, is this blessing on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. Father of the Hebrew nation was Abraham, but he was credited with righteousness through his faith prior to the covenant of circumcision. And that's the point that Paul makes. It's not about the law. It's about faith in God and in what he says. And he received the sign of circumcision, it says in verse 11, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also follow him in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Through the righteousness of faith. I know you and I, we struggle with doing the right thing. We study because we want to know what God says about right and wrong in this world. And we struggle because every day we see ourselves fail. But what are we measuring ourselves up against in order to see that we fail? Aren't we measuring ourselves against the law of God? What is that but faith? We hold up his law in our own minds and in our own hearts, we say, I'm not, I'm not doing right by what Jesus says. I'm trying to. Sometimes I get it right. Sometimes I love and sometimes I care and sometimes I'm, I'm as honest as I should be and sometimes I'm as, 
I'm as kind and compassionate as it, but other times not. Maybe most of the time not. But I'm so glad that none of these texts are teaching us you're going to be saved by how well you keep perfection according to the law. You're saved by your faith, your faith in God. That's why we keep coming back to the law. We know that's from him, and so we keep looking. How am I supposed to do it, Lord? I know there's a narrow way. I want to stay in that narrow way. And by wanting to stay in that narrow way, we stay in it. It's not by our perfect behavior. It's by our faith. And that's what these texts are showing us, and that's why it's so encouraging to me. And that's why it's so important and so vital that we continue to feed our faith. What do they say about that? When you feed your faith, what happens? Your doubts starve to death. You feed your faith and your doubts starve to death. Well, how do you deepen your faith? How do you feed your faith? I've got some suggestions. It's my job, isn't it, to have suggestions? Observe the creation. Some of God's writers told us to do that. Observe the creation. In Proverbs chapter 30, Solomon wrote this. I think it's interesting what it says. It's, it's provocative. Solomon wrote this, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 18. In the, in the Hebrew trait for writing, he starts out saying, there are three things which are too wonderful for me, and then he says four, four that I don't understand. The way of an eagle in the sky. Now, we don't see as many eagles as we see turkey buzzards. And I know turkey buzzard doesn't sound very impressive, does it? But when you're looking up in the sky from down here, turkey buzzards look just like eagles, don't they? And you've seen them. I know you have. You see them up there. And they're just floating in the air. And they're circling as easy as anything could be. And I wonder about how in the world does that happen? How do those things take flight? Because you see them on the ground and they're, they're big, ugly, awkward looking things. And then they spread their wings and they push forward and, and they're airborne and they, they get up there and they soar. How does that happen? Why can't I do that? Wouldn't that be fun to fly? You ever have that dream? That's the best dream you can have. Flying. Man, that's fun. Solomon says, it's too wonderful for me. I don't understand it. The way of an eagle in the sky. The way of a serpent on a rock. Wow, we've come all the way from up in the sky to down on the ground on a rock. But now we're talking about a snake. How in the world does a snake get around? Aren't you amazed by that? I know they're kind of creepy, aren't they? We don't have much of a fondness for snakes, but I think we are impressed with the way they move and move so quickly. Zip, zam, zop, they're gone. Or they're there. Hopefully they're gone. And Solomon says, that's too wonderful. I, I don't understand it. The way of a ship in the middle of the sea. Anybody here know how to sail? I mean, sail with a ship that has a sail and a rudder. That just seems like such a skill. I'd, I'd like to learn to do that sometime. But Solomon says, that's wonderful that, that you can build a craft 
that you can take out on the sea and navigate and go places. And the way of a man with a maid. How do you figure that one out? What does he mean by that? Whatever he means, it's too wonderful for him. How does that work? You guys, you want to know how to woo a woman? Just go up to her and go, woo! (laughs) Talk about a conversation starter. How'd y'all meet? Well, your daddy wooed me. Say, woo, you're good looking. Woo, I'd like to go out with you. I see all the young teenage boys writing this stuff down, boy. Taking notes here. Solomon, Solomon observes the relationship between a young man and a young woman. He says, wow, that's really something. And if you think about it, what are all our great stories about? The people falling in love. Falling in love for the express purpose of doing what? Getting married, riding off into the sunset, living happily ever after. And the assumption is in their marriage they'll have children, they'll, they'll have a home. That's, that's what it used to be anyway. I know the storylines have changed recently. It's because we've gotten away from faith. This faith will teach us these things. Observe the creation. See what's in the world to see that there's wonder in. And Solomon, I think, got this kind of viewpoint from his dad because his dad wrote back in Psalm 139. He observed the the creation, but his creation was observing himself. David said this in Psalm 139, verse 13 and 14. You form my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it right well. David's talking about the way he's put together and how that happened in his mother's womb. How does that happen? You take a microscopic sperm and a a, a nearly microscopic egg and they come together and that's what we call conception. The sperm comes from the man, the egg's there and the woman and they get together and you've got conception for life. And in the process of time that becomes a tiny little baby. Starts out maybe a half inch long and it, and it grows. And before long, it's got little toes and organs and eyelids and hair. And it becomes you. All the information to make you is in those two microscopic aspects of your conception. It's all there. How did all that information get there? How does your body, the mother's body, know to, to house that? Because the mother's body's not making it. Those things are making themselves. God put that life in there. And I don't know that David knew all about this stuff, but now we know about it. Maybe what David was looking at was just what he could do. I mean, you think about it. Just being able to walk around without falling down, that's quite a feat, isn't it? You ever try to make anything that can walk around and not fall over? I try to make tables without falling over, and that's that's a struggle. I've learned that one with three legs, you don't have to have level ground for but one with three legs, you've got to be more careful with. <laughs> wow, fearfully and wonderfully made. What are you looking at right now? What are you seeing? What are you beholding with your eyes? Do you see color? What degree of clarity do you have? Can you identify objects? Is your mind telling you what those objects are? How marvelous is it that we have these systems in place that God's given us that just grew from a tiny little sperm and a tiny little egg that got together and bam, here you are. Ain't evolution great? 
It's God. It's God that does that. And you've got all these systems working for you. Your nervous system, your skeletal system, your muscular system, your digestive system. Isn't it great that we're going to go eat lunch in a while and your body's going to know what to do with everything you put into it. And God's provided for all that. You've got a liver and a gallbladder and a spleen and all kinds of stuff to deal with all the junk you're going to feed yourself later. And you've, you've got a whole digestive tract that can have that stuff flow right through your body. And then you've got a means of disposing of it that's controlled. It, isn't it great that it doesn't just come out all the time? I know that sounds grace and horrible. But, but you think about it. How marvelously are we made? Boggles the mind. I think that's what was happening with David, and it increased his faith. And then David wrote about the heavens, Psalm 19. We know that one. What do the heavens do? What are they doing all the time? They're declaring the glory of God. We see this. God has built us so that we see that and we're impressed by that. And our faith is increased by that if we're thinking along those lines. Animals don't do that. I spent so much time out in the woods and in the water. And I've never... I go out there in the middle of the night and I never find animals out there in the field staring up at the sky wondering about the stars. The only time you see animals looking up is when there's a hawk in the air and the squirrels are nervous about that. I, I shot a turkey once. Three other turkeys came back and looked at the carcass and, and it's like they were saying, hey, Frida, you coming? <laughs> and that turkey didn't move, of course. The other three just took off. They didn't gather around to pray. They didn't cry. They didn't weep. They didn't go down to comfort her or test check her pulse. Oh, okay, you ain't coming. We're gone. Your history. That's an animal. We don't do that. We're different. God's made us different. If we think about these things, we start getting some kind of a, a sense of who God is and how great he is and how powerful he is. It's just a matter of thinking about things like these. And just... The planets themselves. Isaac Newton. You've heard of Isaac Newton. He's not the guy that created the cookie. That was somebody else. Newton is the guy that said, well, I, I wrote it down. Gravity explains the motion of the planets, but it does not explain who set the planets in motion. That was Isaac Newton. A great, a great comment. But here's some other things you can do to deepen your faith. You can test God's teachings. In John chapter 7, Jesus was writing, or he was, he was talking, he was preaching about the things that God had taught. And this is what he says. John chapter 7, verse 14. When it was now the midst of the feast, the feast of booths, feast of uh, tabernacles, Jesus went up to the temple and began to teach. The Jews then were astonished, saying, how has this man become learned Having never been educated. Now think about what they're saying. This is the son of God. This is God incarnate. God in the flesh. This is the one that John would call the logos when he started this gospel. The word of God made flesh. And they're listening to him and they're saying, how does this guy know all this stuff? Well, he's the one who invented all of it. As we would say it. And there he is. Teaching. So Jesus answered to them and said, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. What did he just say? He said, you can test what I'm telling you to see whether or not it's the truth. You do it and you see what happens. 
you do it and you see what happens. I remember when I was in high school, we, we, we had a, uh, I wasn't in the, on the wrestling team, but we had a wrestling thing going on and I was into it. And I was wrestling this one guy and I'd managed to get up on top, but I, I couldn't break him down. I couldn't get him to go down. And my friend who lived up the hollow from me, who was on the wrestling team, Leonard Lovejoy, I remember he was hollering at me, Marty, grab his arm, Marty, grab his arm. And I heard Leonard and I understand what he was saying, but I just, I just couldn't see how that would work. But I didn't have Leonard's perspective. And finally, he said it long enough and loud enough that I finally grabbed the guy's arm. You know what happened? He went down. <laughs> I just had to listen to what Leonard had to say. Jesus says, if you want to know whether or not the teaching I'm giving you is true, just do it. Just do it. It works. Nearly all my life, I've been trying to do what Jesus said. Never once have I followed through with what Jesus said and been disappointed. Never once have I followed through what Jesus said and, and been dissatisfied with the result. Every single time, his teachings work. His instruction works. And he says, you can test it. Just do it. John 8, a little chapter over here. Jesus says this. John chapter 8, verses 31 32. Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed him, who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth. And what will the truth do? Set you free. How enslaved to foolishness are people today because they do not know the simple truth of the word of God. And I'm not talking about the deep things of anything. I'm talking about the simple things that God said in Genesis 1. I made two people. One was a man, one was a woman. How much foolishness would simply believing in that take care of today? We wouldn't have to worry about new signs for bathrooms. We wouldn't have to worry about drag queen day at the library. But we get away from the simple things. And Jesus says, I'm telling you, test it out. You keep my words, see if you don't learn the truth. You'll learn the truth and see if that truth doesn't set you free. You can test God in these things. He's given us ways to test him. The one we quoted a little while ago, Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who are wearied and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to Jesus. Follow his ways. See if you don't have peace when you lay your head down on your pillow tonight. And if this idea of salvation by faith doesn't give you some degree of peace, I don't know what will. I don't have anything better for you because there's nothing better than salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. James chapter 4, verse 8. What does James say? Draw near to God. And what will happen? He will draw near to you. Now the obvious things about deepening your faith. You probably expected me to say, read your Bible, do your prayers. Yes, absolutely. I hope those things are just so blatantly obvious that you'll keep doing those. But I want you to also just observe everything about life. Look at the universe. Look at the planet. Look at the way you're made. Look at relationships and see what God teaches you about relationships and how his way always makes relationships better and smoother and maybe not easier at the outset, but easier in the long run. And that's what we're looking for, isn't it? The long-term outcome. Isn't that what we're looking for? So feed your faith. Your faith is all you got. You don't have any other connection to eternity than that. Test Jesus' teachings. Do them to see if they're right. You'll find, as I have, I'm confident that they work. And I'm so thankful, 
So thankful that our young people are leading tonight. I'm really looking forward to that for a number of reasons. I'm already blessed by the fact that we've got so many young people who are putting their best foot forward. Because as a young person, I believe it's more difficult to see how valuable your faith is. You're young. You've got the whole world ahead of you, your whole life ahead of you. But what did Solomon say about that? He said, remember your creator when? In the days of your youth. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. He didn't say, hey, you got plenty of time. Pick that up later on when you got a little more maturity. No. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. This is the time. You want a strong faith? Start to work on it now. Do not wait, young people. I'm so grateful for what we're seeing happening tonight. And I pray for you guys who are leading, and I pray for the rest of you. Don't feel bad if you're not taking part as the others are. You're still working on your faith. I'm hoping, I'm praying for that. You keep at it. And everybody else, every age, every sex, every whatever you might be, faith, faith, faith. It's all we have to offer the Lord. But the Lord says, that's all I want. And I'll say it again. It's like in marriage. You can't be a perfect spouse, but you can be a faithful spouse. And if we work on that, boy, how much better will our marriages be? So how much better will our relationship with God be? That's the lesson for this morning. I appreciate your patience and your kindness. We're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement and invitation. I want to encourage you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's the point at which God will give you the right to become his son. And then you can do what Jesus told Nicodemus to do in John chapter 3, two chapters over from that. Be born again by water and the spirit. Be baptized into Christ. Paul will talk about later, he talked about salvation by faith in Romans chapter 4. But he was talking to people who had already done what he's going to talk about in chapter 6. And that's enter the death of Christ and rise up out of it to walk in newness of life. If you need any teaching on that, you want to do that. By the way, rejoice with me. I just got word a little while ago that our granddaughter Fiona is going to be baptized at the end of the service with the Keller Church of Christ in Fort Worth this morning. So another one added to the kingdom. Another one placing membership here. Another one in the kingdom in Fort Worth, wherever it happens. Faith is the victory. Let's stand and sing.